We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 91, on this full opinion brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks again for tuning in to the show. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13 because I'm Dan Hilton, joined today by a guest co-host, Noel Winchard. You know him, he's making his return to the show for the first time it was as an interview this time he is my co-host for the day where we've got la gran pregunta and Loranda to break down you can find him at noel winchard on twitter and of course that'll be in the show notes as well let's get right to it as we are done with match day one we just finished noel you and i just finished watching russia egypt which we're not going to cover because there's no barcelona players talking to talk about there but i think we'll have our full today with the gran pregunta and that's surrounding Messi. And while there are a lot of other Barcelona players to talk about, we'll run through them. Our La Gran Pregunta centers around the guy that you particularly know well on Twitter have been adamant, and a lot of Kool-Aids have been adamant that they really just want to see Messi solidify his status as probably the all-time best player ever by capturing the World Cup. And we're going to talk about Argentina's chances after the 1-1 draw with Iceland in match day one. Yes, let's do this. I'm ready for it. So I want to start with a few stats from that match. Aside from the missed penalty, which, again, we all know about, Messi also had 11 shots of his team's 27 total shots. And to give you a good idea of how Argentina just were working in terms of tactics, looking at the three guys who totaled more than 100 touches in the game against Iceland, Eduardo Salvio had 101 out on the wing, Messi had 116, and Javier Mascherano, former Barcelona midfielder, well, more importantly, defender, had 153, plays midfield for Argentina, of course. Argentina probed and probed and could not break down Iceland in the exact same fashion that we saw England struggle with the gentleman from Scandinavia in Euro 2016. Messi also had six dribbles, while Ever Banega was second on the team with just three off the bench, so a bright spark when he did come in. Messi was also dispossessed a team high eight times. And again, while all the other big stories here, and this will before we really break down those stats, I mean, the main reason, Noel, that I wanted to talk to you about this was that Germany lost, Brazil and Spain drew, France and England needed late winners, and yet so much of the attention throughout the first round of games, not only, of course, of the goals by Cristiano Ronaldo, 
but it's been on the criticism on Messi for not getting Argentina a result. And that's just because he's just such a polarizing figure because of his star power. And to me, it's a little exhausting, Noel. I agree. I agree. It's like, you know, it's like this guy cannot have credit. It's like without him, they wouldn't even be in Russia. And some Argent- Argentinian people were saying like, he, he shouldn't come back. If we don't do this, he's no longer Argentine. He should go back to Barcelona. It's like, it's 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 so insane, you know. They don't acknowledge what he does because if he goes out, if he doesn't play, Argentina basically is not in the World Cup. They won't do a thing. So he's the ultimate messiah, like you like you like you said. He is the player that everybody expects to do it to make it happen. But he can have a bad day. It's like, of course, I was disappointed. I didn't expect this to happen, but it's still messy. It's still the vote. It's still somebody who can make miracles happen at any given moment. So for me, obviously I'm down. It, it hurt me, but in Messi, I will always still be bitter. And what you said about the, the situations with the with the players, it, it was so obvious. They, they just lacked that player. You mentioned Banega. The moment he came in, it started happening. It started getting better, and there were chances to win. Sadly, they didn't, but it improved. So, yeah, that's the, it's 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 annoying that they only talk about Messi while Germany lost or Brazil uh, didn't impress at all, and they were great in the qualification, and Argentina wasn't. So, it's it's it, it's only Messi. It's only Messi. And that's part of what makes that narrative so interesting. And Ronaldo's not only performance, but his celebration display when he seemingly, you know, made the, 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 the we'll say, Billy Goat scruff sign. And, you know, and that's in response to the portrait and the picture that came about with Messi posing with the goat, which, again, is, is pretty comical. But I, I think because of that narrative, and people are so, so quick to forget Messi's performance against Ecuador that pushed Argentina into this World Cup, and again, he's a guy that, I, I, it's almost interesting to me for Kool-Aid, because we watch him week in and week out, we watch him every minute, and so we know what he is capable of, and I think to a world audience, while people say that their eyes are on Messi, and you know, me living in the States, I'll be talking to people at work and say, oh, Ronaldo, Messi, but they don't actually watch the games, they, they just hear Messi or Ronaldo on the news, or see it on, flashing on SportsCenter for two or three minutes every few weeks. So they don't really watch them game in and game out. And you and I know what he's capable of. And we also know that, you know, against Croatia or against Nigeria, that that could be the game that Messi goes off. Because I think looking at Iceland, they're not going to win the World Cup. They're not a world-beating team. But a lot of credit is owed to both dentist and Iceland manager, Heimir Hallgrimsson, who had just nailed his tactics. Fantastic defensive game plan that stifled Argentina, Argentina's attack. And we know Argentina has struggled in the buildup, but Iceland, because of their size, and I do mean their vertical size, and just the way that they were able to step together and their organization, again, a fantastic job against an Argentine team that is built so much on individual brilliance, whether it is from Messi or whether it is coming in from the wings or the, even the lone goal when Sergio Aguero was able to turn on a dime. And again, it was a difficult shot, high difficulty, Aguero was able to put it home. And for me, my only hope, obviously it's my only hope, that Messi's penalty miss doesn't haunt him in a way that the Copa America final versus Chile and that miss did. And if Argentina can't get out of this group, again, we don't want to say that too soon, but if they don't, this is going to have, you know, 
hopefully not, but it could have ramifications for Messi's season next year in a Barcelona uniform. But I think before we get to that, I think we have to look ahead first to Croatia, who looked pretty strong against Nigeria, and Nigeria, who in the inverse, didn't look very strong against Croatia. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's like, um, it's a do-or-die moment, basically. It's um, They have to win. They could draw, but they have to win. And everybody in Argentina knows that every Barca fan is praying for it. And it's like Croatia, they're known for their midfield. And as we could see, Argentina, their midfield was lacking creativity. They, uh, they played with Majerano and Biglia, both are basically known for passing it sideways or getting the ball and giving it to a creative player. But that creative player was Messi and he was surrounded by five players at all times and they were scared or couldn't break lines. It's like Argentina had the ball, they had almost 80% of the ball, I think, and they, they tried to reach him, but it wasn't, for one reason, it wasn't possible. And when Banega came, that changed. That, that started, the game started flowing, Messi got the ball more, did some shot, created the penalty, which he sadly missed, but it can happen. And, and that's basically where I see the chances. Croatia want to create a game, so they will attack. They won't post, uh, uh, like, let's say, a plane in front of their defense. Like, there was a picture, you could see all 11 Iceland players in their 16, um, and that's basically super difficult, the break. Like you said, Aguero did, did an impossible thing almost, turning that way and striking it real hard in the net. But Argentina needs space. Needs space to click and creative players. And I don't know if you saw the rumors, but um, San Paoli is making some changes. He apparently is putting Christian Pavon, the youngster from Boca Juniors, uh, up front. In midfield, there will be um, Enzo Perez or Mesa, who played as a winger, but this time in midfield. And the other one was Mercado, who is coming in at the back. And probably they will play with three at the back to to have more uh, players in midfield and that way make it easier to reach Messi. So it's a, it's a plan and we will have to see if it works out. But you're right, uh, Croatia is dangerous. But on the other hand, Messi will have more space. And you all, everybody knows what happens when Messi has more space. And like you said, we watch the whole game, so we know what he can do. We don't watch only his goals, his highlights, the pop culture, like the pictures and everything. No, we know what he can get. And if Aguero continues like this, Messi will find him and he will come for the goals. So I'm, I'm on Twitter. I see him desperate and sad, but obviously that's a bit exaggeration. In my mind, I think it's possible. But... Argentina will have to play as a team. Messi cannot be expected to always do it on himself. So I hope that the execution of the plan works. And we will see. We will see. Always with Messi. Till the bitter end. Well, let's get a little more quick fire with the other matches for Barcelona players in match day one. And speaking of favorites and some of that faith that you might have that Argentina can turn things around is due to the fact that when it comes to World Cup favorites, I mean, Germany lost one nothing to Mexico and... Ter Stegen didn't get off the bench, so we don't have to talk about that, but that was the big upset for match day one. And the rest of the game, Spain, 3-3 draw with Portugal. Spain considered a favorite. France leaned at a late winner, 2-1 against Australia, and France was considered one of those big teams in this cup. Didn't play particularly well against an Australia side that was lacking in quality. Brazil held 1-1 to Switzerland, and again, we all know about what Switzerland is defensively, a lot like Iceland. They have a game plan, and Switzerland, if you weren't following them in qualifying, 
that's exactly what they do. 0-0-1-1 defensive. So Switzerland are going to gave Brazil the test that they needed in Brazil were unable to break through. And the story about that is Neymar, but the goal came from Coutinho. In the other two matches, Croatia defeating Nigeria pretty handily and Uruguay one nothing over Egypt. Another late winner. Luis Suarez not too good, but let's start from the beginning. Spain versus Portugal. The three guys in this one, Gerard Piquet, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba, but I also want to mention Andres Iniesta. Again, we consider him still very much, again, a Barcelona player, even if he's not officially on the team for next season. But the story here, unfortunately, for as well, I think, as Iniesta and Busquets played in the midfield, Alba coming alive in the second half, Gerard Piquet, because of the decision of Griezmann, had so much negative attention on him, and then the criticism was ramped up 10,000% when he committed the foul, the third foul on Ronaldo, and then he makes that free kick to make it 3-3. And PK just seems out of sorts, and I think the one thing I want to remind people of for, about PK is that he was struggling with that leg injury for much of the second half of the season, and we still don't know, with not having the appropriate time off, we don't know if PK is completely right in the lower half of his body. And that said, I think he's a guy that's able to put all that negative criticism out of his mind. He doesn't really pay attention to it. But for Spain to turn this around, they are really going to have to find unity. They're going to have to rally behind a coach that's been there less than a week still. And they're going to have to figure out a way to easily triumph over Morocco and Iran to pick up the possible points and pick up the gold differential they're going to need to win the group. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's like Spain have to, have to, probably they will have a similar game as Argentina against Iceland because Iran, I saw them against Morocco. Morocco had a tough game against them. They lost thanks to their own goal. And Iran can make it pretty hard for them. And like you said, PK, um, he wasn't even that bad during the game. But that mistake, that like you said, he already was under pressure. Everybody on Twitter was slating him. Even the board today talked about that they will... Uh, talk with him when he returns after the World Cup. So, so it wasn't a good time for him. And then that ball. And of course, Cristiano is not known anymore for scoring free kicks that often. So you cannot really blame him. But still, at that moment in the game, that ball wasn't necessary. I was really mad at the time, but not not for the things that happened. Basically, just the moment because Spain could have won if that free kick didn't occur. And yeah, like, and like you said, the other players, Busquets, I want to specific, specifically talk about Busquets. He gave two great assists, uh, had a pretty good game. And, and I, I was glad because some people were sedating Busquets in the last weeks of the competition. He came back from injury, didn't look too well. But against Portugal, he seemed his old self. He has stopped. Uh, well, he was decent, not special, but not bad neither. And Alba... Like you said, in the second half, he became better, more space for Spain. Um, they started playing their own possession game, and yeah. So I think the Spain Barca players had a pretty good week. They could have won, and Cristiano decided that they didn't, but they were good. I um, I think Spain will go through. Uh, Iran will be will become a, a tough game with tough spaces, probably Iceland S game, but they have Diego Costa though. They can struck it high, they have Sergio Ramos, they have Pique. They can do something in a standard situation. And Argentina lacked that. So I think they will beat Iran. Tough 1-0, maybe 1-2. I think they will win. With all the excitement of the World Cup, I also want to make a little aside, Noel. Of course, you're in Spain, but I'm in the U.S. And I do live right next to a hospital. 
So with the heat, I have the windows open and you can hear plenty of what is going on in the background. So again, apologies to our listeners. Hopefully things die down soon. But with the excitement in the background here, let's get back to the excitement going on in Russia. France versus Australia, the 2-1 the winner. And the two guys we want to talk about is Samuel Umtiti, who, much like his partner for Barcelona, PK, had a lot of criticism for his performance and the difficulty that he seemed to have with that experienced and savvy Australian front line. Meanwhile, Usmani Dembele is rumored already and pretty much guaranteed that Olivier Giroud is going to be starting in the place of Dembele, of course, not tactically, but Dembele is going to head to the bench. And Dembele, who was really, really good in the warm-up games, I think deserved to start the first game against Australia. He just wasn't able to break things down against that Aussie side. So for France, Dembele... Umtiti, we know the skill, we know the talent that they possess, but they just weren't able to show it. Now they have two more opportunities to do so. Yeah, I agree. Umtiti, clearly, he won't be dropped because they don't have basically somebody to replace him, like somebody who's actually better or who could get the better out of him. They had Koscielny, but he injured himself. So Umtiti will start, but Dembele, he's young. Uh, he didn't play as much, so I think he's a easy victim. To, to ditch from the from the starting team if you want to make a change. Like, for example, you have Mbappe, who didn't play any better, to be honest, but he has the status. He played, yeah, he probably is seen um, by, the biggest, by, the, by the big public as the biggest talent in the world, even though people disagree. That's basically how, how it's seen. And that's why I think Kuzman Dembele will be dropped because Giroud came in, he generated some danger, He's a target man. He always plays well for France. So I get that Deschamps want to give him a chance. But I don't know. I think that Ruffman Dembele played really good, like you said. And I expected big things from him. So I hope he still gets some minutes and shows something. But like I said, I, on Twitter, I'm not a big fan of France. I don't think they will win the World Cup. And I even think they will be knocked out by Uruguay in the 16 round or quarterfinal. I don't know when I predicted it, but... I think they will be knocked out because their coach, they don't, he doesn't make them any better. While they probably have the best team in the world, if you look at all the options they have on the bench, and even uh, not taken to Russia. So, so yeah, um, Umtiti he will start. I think he will, he will improve. He had a really bad game, stupid handball. No idea why he did that. Could have been um, somehow the influence from what happened and the criticism he got. It could have gone to his head and he could have had a weird moment or something like that. I don't have no idea, but he was really bad. Also in his positioning, because Australia, well, they basically did an Iceland game as well. They had a, a good cohesive structure. They didn't give, give away too much spaces. They even generated a couple of chances from standard situations and counters. So, so yeah, France will play against Peru, who had a good game against Denmark, lost it unfortunately, because they were way better. And yeah, we will see how it goes. Uh, I expect Peru maybe to give us a shock, because, you know, this is the World Cup of surprises, and Peru plays really well. So we will see. And I hope Usman Dembele impresses us, because, as we all know, he is the future for us. Yeah, he's got a big season upcoming for Barcelona. And speaking of new additions from last season, Philippe Coutinho scored that goal 
against Switzerland for the 1-1 result. Neymar came out of training today injured. He's, of course, getting the headlines, been the big story. Paulinho, also a starring role in that one, came subbed off. But before that, had some ambitious runs into the box. Did the the sideline-to-sideline defensive work that we Barcelona fans know he does. And with Coutinho, it seemed like, you know, I was watching, well, we had it on at work, and everyone kind of cheered and roared and said, oh, my goodness, look at that goal by Coutinho. But, again, you and I, Noel, watch Coutinho week in and week out. We know what he did for Liverpool, and we know that he's capable of those long shots. And the interesting thing about Neymar getting injured, I don't know if in this group that makes Brazil a better team for the next two matches at least. I think when it comes farther down the tournament, as Brazil move on to the knockouts potentially, you need that high talent, you need the best of the best to go against the other best teams in the world vying for the World Cup title. But in the group stages, I think the cohesion that Brazil has when he's not on the field and when they don't have the desire to have to give him the ball all the time and they just work through that midfield and build up through the talent that they have, they use the wings and Marcelo properly, I think Brazil could even be a better squad without Neymar at the moment. But when he comes back, potentially, hopefully, if he comes back fully fit for Brazil's sake, obviously they're a better team when he's clicking. But as I said... Philippe Coutinho and Paulinho did not play poorly, but Brazil just seems to change their tactics to return Neymar. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I'm a big personal fan. I follow almost all of their games. Um, the last year, almost two years, Coutinho started growing into the team. He started making his goals, and right now he's undisputed. And he showed why. Because, like, like you said, we know what he can do, and now he did it in a World Cup. And a lot of people who don't watch football normally watch football now. And they're like, oh my god, who is this? How is this possible? But we have seen this several times. So for us, it's like, it's beautiful, but it's like his thing, you know? So so I was I was happy to see that. And like you said about Neymar, basically at every cup he played for Brazil, he was the star. He was great. He showed, he made the goals. He made things happen. But um, against Switzerland, you could just see that he isn't in his mojo right now. He tried to do his tricks. He tried to do his ball hogging, he had some shots. He wasn't on his game. You could see he was injured and today, like you said, he had to step out. And it is not known yet if he can play. Coutinho said that Neymar is okay, but you know, it's it's just something they always say. Well, we will have to see because the coach said that Neymar wasn't at 100% before the game against Switzerland and everybody could see why. But like you said, they have also plays like really um, Douglas Costa, Roberto Firmino, Gabriel Jesus, all great players, all players who can make things happen. And Marcelo, who can play like he plays at Madrid and not adapt himself to Neymar's style and everything. Um, so, yeah, you're right. If he was injured, it would be obviously not good, but it could be a blessing in disguise for Brazil to play freely, to just win the games for him, and when he comes back, he could give them the extra vibe that they need, let's say... If Germany turns it around, they will face Germany. Because if Germany ends second and Brazil ends first, that will mean Brazil-Germany in the round of 16, which is absurd, but it's a high possibility. And then you would need Neymar. It would be nice to have him on the pitch. So yeah, I agree with you. We will see. I hope Coutinho keeps shining because obviously we want him to, to work on his... Uh, no, not work on his form, but keep his good form and take it to the... To, the, to La Liga and mostly the Champions League because we missed him in the Champions League because of the rules but next year he will be there and that will be a big asset obviously. so yeah I agree
So before we move on to Croatia, who, for all the teams that Barcelona players play for, Croatia, with that 2 nothing win over Nigeria, looks like the team closest to being a World Cup winning side. And aside from that, though, we have to mention Thomas Vermillion, also a Barcelona player at the moment, playing for Belgium, but he did not get the start, so that's why we're not talking about it. He's considered absent on the team sheet, injured with Vincent Company, as we know behind the scenes. So Vermillion probably will not get a look at this World Cup. He's just there for experience and in a real, real pinch, but he's injured himself, so how could he come in for an injured player? And the other guy being... Yuri Mina for Colombia after they fell 2-1 to Japan. He also did not see the field. Again, speculation that he could be injured. And so with those two not performing, again, with Belgium winning 3-0, yes, they look like a tournament favorite. But Croatia, as we mentioned, a 2-0, pretty commanding 2-0 over Nigeria, even though it was an own goal and a Luka Modric penalty. They did dominate the midfield as expected. And while Luka Modric did well in the game. I think even Rakitic had the kind of performance for Croatia that he has for Brazil. And again, he's not the guy anybody's going to talk about, but he was so important to what the Croats were trying to do in that contest. He had more completed passes than Luka Modric, again, by just one, but he was also more precise with his passing. He had more key passes than Modric. And while the yellow card wasn't too good, the defensive work that he had to do behind Modric, who was playing not as a number 10, but farther up the field, by and large, that Rakitic did. Again, it's not trying to comparing the two, but I think Modric had just as good a game as Rakitic and vice versa. And so I think Rakitic, after this one, probably deserves a little more credit than he gets. And isn't that the story of his career at Barcelona? Yeah, I agree with you. It's like, it's, it's always the same. I always have to say to people that I will always be with, with Rakitic because he... He has his default, obviously, but he has so many good things. And people like only want to see the Xavi and Iniesta type of players, which we all love. Everybody loves the Xavi and Iniesta type of players. But you need that Rakitic type player sometimes. Um, for example, the Classico he played when we went with 10 guys. That's basically a perfect performance. That's a guy you need. And that's how he played against Nigeria as well. He, he stood his, his, ma- his ground against Mikel one of the strongest mid, uh, midfielders in football. And Mikel basically couldn't create a thing because Rakitic was on him all the time. Rakitic was following him, making making simple or smart fouls at moment, uh, moments when it was needed. Um, broke lines with passes, something that people say he never does. A big myth. Um, I think he also had a good shot. And, and just, several, just several good passes, you know, like keeping the calm, like holding the line together, pressing, um, positioning himself right for a defender to play it out from the back. Simple, smart things that people don't appreciate. It's like, Busquets does it does it as well. And Rakitic, I think he learned it from Busquets because at Barcelona he learned it playing deeper uh, while previously he was a number 10. And now Croatia profit of that because um, you have Modric, which is probably the best central midfielder in the world, and he can play a bit higher. Or I think just does the dirty work and keep it deep for, for Croatia and just, you know, just be like the, the lock on the on the door, basically. That's how I see it. So I agree with you. I think it's had a great game. Uh, I hope he has a, a weaker game against Argentina, <laughs> but uh, kudos to him for his game against Nigeria. Definitely. Yeah, this being the first matchup where we see two Barcelona players going up against each other, and I think the sentiment is because Croatia 
if they get any result then in that final match against Iceland, they'll be moving through to the next round. And Argentina desperately need a result against Croatia. So I think, again, most Kool-Aids would agree. And obviously, even Rakitic is unfortunately on an island by himself again that most Kool-Aids and Barcelona fans are going to be rooting for Argentina in that one. And again, no disrespect to Rakitic. I just want to see both of them get out of the group. And the final match, again, we're going to have to end on a sour note here as was much of match day one for the Barcelona players. Luis Suarez, his team got the win. They got the three points, one nothing against Egypt who have basically been knocked out here after losing to Russia. And Uruguay just sneaking by the goal near the death by Jose Jimenez of Atletico Madrid. But Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani was the same thing. Were not their clinical best. They just didn't seem to be informed, didn't seem to have an eye for goal. And if Uruguay is going to go far and go the way that you predict, Luis Suarez absolutely has to be better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Luis Suarez was horrible. And it surprised me because, you know, the World Cup is his thing. In 2010, we all know what, what Uruguay did. They came to the semifinal. Suarez did the famous handball against against Ghana and then they and then he was suspended for the semi-final. 2014 he was injured, came in, decided the game against England and then stupidly a bit uh, Chiellini, everybody knows that. But it's basically the competition in which he shows his ultimate passion. He, sh- he shows how much he wants to win and how much he wants to do to win. And I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm just saying it's his competition. So I trusted him to do it again, but against... Uh, Egypt, it wasn't his day, like you said. He kept on doing the same things, like like he did with Barcelona at the end of the competition. Frustrating, not touching the ball, complaining to his teammates, complaining to the referees, um, having bad touches, missing big chances, like three 100% chances. And yeah, it, it was a bad thing. Uh, luckily, Jimenez decided to make the winner, and Uruguay has their three points. That was the most important thing. But I do expect Suarez to get better because, as I said, he has that determination, he has that love for Uruguay, and he has that quality. He might not show it one day, another day, but at the end of the day, in the biggest games, he always stands up. So when Uruguay will need him, I'm 100% sure that he will be there. Uh, not against Saudi Arabia <laughs> the next game. That's pro- that's probably going to be a big score because what I've seen from Saudi Arabia, Arabia they don't really impressed me but let's say if they play against France I will bet my money on it that Suarez will score a goal 100% and then I will say to people I told you so like I always do with Suarez because you know Classico is his game um, games against Atletico Madrid against Valencia he always turns off when it matters in the biggest games so I'm, 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 I'm gonna keep repeating it he was disgusting it was real bad but bet on him to make the difference when Uruguay needs it against a big opponent. Bet on it. It's going to happen. Sure. Well, that'll wrap up Match Day 1. Of course, we'll have our review of Match Day 2 coming up next week. And for now, we have a little bit of time to go through La Ronda. We have just a few questions today, not too many. First from Roman. We've talked a lot about potential players coming in, but if you had to pick only one position to sign one player this summer, would you pick a forward, midfielder, or defender? And I'm going to start Noel with a cop-out answer, and that it's if Barcelona plan on playing Coutinho as part of maybe a forward three, or if Valverde continues to go with that 4-4-2 with him out on the wing, then I'd say that if he's playing more forward, then you need a midfielder, and vice versa. If he's seen as that future left interior 
and occupying where Iniesta played in a traditional Barcelona 4-3-3, the, the Corifian 4-3-3, if you will, if that's what Valverde's ultimate goal to get back to is, then you need a forward up top. So I think either way, it's going to be based on where Coutinho's playing, but I think with a, with a gun against my head, I'd say that Barcelona's midfield does need some injection to continue to play the Barcelona style. So I think if Coutinho is seen as a goal scorer and is going to fade forward a little more, you are going to need a traditional midfielder who's able to do the things farther forward upfield that Rakitic and Busquets don't necessarily do. Where you stand on that, Noel? I agree completely. It's like you had the Griezmann situation, you know. He rejected us, so they they said in the Spanish media that they shifted their attention from attack to midfield. Like you said, a player who could make those, let's say, Javi things happen, control the game, um, make make things happen, break lines, um, be able to handle pressure, things like that. And I agree, a midfield, a midfielder is what we need, and I would definitely go for that if I could have one choice. So Sean asks, what are your thoughts on PK's role in Griezmann's La Decision? And also asking us about a potential Thiago signing, and... I think those both go along, and not to pile up on questions, but Paco's question, who is our next possible signing? It seems like Tiago is the name that's now this week's flavor of the week, if you will. And Kool-Aid for Life also asks, how will Abidal and Planas do? And this is going to be a big part of their legacy as well. This is, in theory, their first summer, as they'll get started officially in July. And with all the things different happening, you expect that max exodus and players coming in. And then our final question as well, Lila asked, Thiago de Jong, Frankie de Jong, who again is right up your alley, Noel, you know Dutch football pretty well. And then Pavan, who we already talked about with Argentina, to buying, are any of those the pick? And so I've thrown a lot out at us, and I think it's all really connected as Barcelona now less than two weeks away from July 1st when it's time to sell players, it's time to bring them in. So let's start with PK and his role in Griezmann's decision. I think it's un- it's an unfortunate thing how this all happened, and I think that it's important just to put this one behind us. And unfortunately, there's such criticism with the board and their relationship with the players. And what I think Abidal and Planets will do potentially is be that median between the two bases of the board and all the people in the suits and the players on the field and in the locker room. And if there can be some synergy within the club that hasn't been there, that's going to allow them to make potential signings, which could be the likes of Thiago or even younger players like Pavon or De Young moving forward. Yeah, I think you said it pretty well. It's like it was unfortunate what happened, but it, it, it's it's irrelevant now. The decision has been made. It's been happened. Um, they could they could speak to PK about it, but don't don't stay in it. Forget it. Forget about it. And like you said, Avilov knows the players. He has good relationships uh, with a lot of them. So he could be like the um, he could be a mediation between them and the board, and like that that's how you uh, how you give a good argument to why they want Thiago because Mundo Deportivo and Sport both agreed on it that the locker room wants him that he is the the pick for midfield and he knows the club and everything. So for me that that makes absolutely sense. And Messi spoke about Pavon in Argentinian media said he needs a he needs a socio and he, and he thought he find it. They found it with uh, Pavon. So, who knows? If he, if he impresses, let's say he has a good game against Croatia. I can already tell you that Kules on Twitter will go nuts and say, like, Bartomeu, buy him, and stuff like that. I know how it goes. So, like you said, that's that's basically how it could go. That Abidal has that connection. 
with the players, with the locker room, and then uh, through the communication, the, the the possible candidates for the transfer market will surface. That's how I see it as well. And then my final question for you as we wrap things up here, Frankie de Jong of Ajax fame and a guy who's now 21 years old, you've seen Frankie de Jong, and for me, I can say I can only see highlights. I don't really get to watch the Eredivisie. So for de Jong, how much is he worth if Barcelona want him? And he, is he a kind of guy that Barcelona have to move on this summer, or do you think he'll still be available after develop, developing for one more year in the Netherlands? Well, the thing is, Frankie de Jong, he's a midfielder who was used as a defender. As a defender in the way that Kuman and Beckenbauer played. Uh, they call it libero. Like three at the back and one of those three is allowed to basically do what he wants. To be a sweeper, to create, to dribble into the midfield, to give long passes. For example, Frank De Jong, when he played there, at times you could see him at, at the position of number nine, at ten, even at the wing sometimes. It's like he's so gifted, he has so much a knowledge of space and time, the concept that Xavi always talks about, that he could do that. And he made Ajax click, basically. The moment he got injured, then Ajax basically bottled the league and the whole season changed. And the thing is, um, he extended his contract in the winter, I think, until 2022. So Ajax can basically ask what they want. And you know how this market works. If a talent, if a young talent impresses, if he has good minutes, if he has good stats, if he shows uh, uh, good games against big opponents or let's say international. He isn't yet, but he could be. And Ajax knows that, so they won't let him go for 40, 50 million. And normally you would say no, he only played one season. But knowing what he can do, uh, knowing how he is versatile, uh, knowing how he will probably be an important player for the national Dutch squad, I would say if it's marketable to get him. It's like, it's more conform to get such a player. Such a player who's still young, who is versatile, who has the perfect profile, who loves Barcelona. We even gave an interview in which he praised Messi and Barcelona and Pep Guardiola and Ronaldinho. So for me, he is the perfect ultimate sign. But there is a situation. Ajax doesn't want to let him go because they will sell Hakim Sia, who is now one of the stars for Morocco at this World Cup. And he is seen as one of the possible replacements. So a, a possibility could be get him and loan him back to Ajax and then uh, get him in 2019 when maybe Rakitic or Paulinho will leave because they will be at a certain age. And, and especially Paulinho maybe wouldn't fit in anymore. So for me, that's a perfect solution because every media in the Netherlands is saying that it isn't an option to let him go right now. But as we all know, Money can change that. So it all depends on how Abidal and Planes, the new uh, uh, board members, see it and how much they want to pay and how important they see him. Because previously, Robert Fernandez wanted him and he's out. So we'll have to see what's true and what's not. But for me, he is the perfect young sign. That's without question. When it comes to a guy like that, that is already at a certain level of quality and while he may not be starting Barcelona material yet in his development again still a young midfielder playing in the Netherlands where it's always a tough ask to have a guy go from the Dutch league and jump up to a starting La Liga or Bundesliga or Premier League team but that said when you talk about his versatility whether he can play center back or even out on the wing if necessarily and when you say the wing I think of Valverde's 4-4-2 
And then again, I think ultimately he winds up being a center midfielder, whether it's in a midfield three or in that midfield of a 4-4-2. I think it's just like with the NBA draft coming up this week where I'm always of the mind that no matter what your pick is, if you're first through 15 in the lottery, then beyond that, maybe you look for team need. But if you're in the lottery and you're one of the first 14 teams to pick, you go with the best player available and then you worry about how it all fits later on. I think a guy like DeYoung, because he's so versatile, like a Sergio Roberto, because those guys are so versatile, you can just plug them in wherever they need to be. And yes, ultimately you want them in one spot so they get used to that and become world-class at that one position. But again, you get them in, you have them work with Barcelona, and then you worry about the rest later and see how they fit later on. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like he's so talented. He also is a born Pule. And, and and he knows Ajax plays pretty similar to Barcelona, so obviously the level is way different. But he could adapt, and we need depth in the team. In the team, we have always we always complain that the subs aren't good enough. That when Iniesta was injured, that 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 all the team uh, the team looked lost. And, you know, we need we need like depth to to keep the players fit, but at the same time be able to rotate without losing quality. And Frankie de Jong would be an important person in that, especially also because Alenia will be injured until October, so you will miss an extra player. So that's that's the thing. He could be a great addition, and if not now, in 2019, when he will have played a full year in Ajax as a starter in midfield, not as a defender, and maybe even Champions League, Ajax will have to qualify themselves, but it's still possible. And also possibly as a Dutch international because if he wasn't injured, he would have been by now. So, so yeah, I agree with you. Um, either get him now or get him alone into Ajax and let him incorporate in 2009. Because if you wait, I'm afraid another team will get him because he's simply too good. Well, again, thanks, Noel, for providing that Dutch expertise of Frankie T. Young. And that wraps up another edition of the Barcelona Podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for Sabarsa. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.